Welcome to the first episode, the first show of the conversation outspoken and opinionated. Um, I think what has happened over the last couple of couple of years is I've had this idea to start this show, and I've had um, conversation with my friends over the last couple of months. And if you are under a rock, I believe you've understood what has happened um, since January fourteenth. The first episode, the first person was diagnosed with COVID nineteen. Um, it has spread over the world, and we have had over 700,000 um, people um, died from COVID-19. Um, my friends and I have had conversations, and so today I'm joined by my friends. This is my village. These are the people who I've had various conversations with, and these are the people that I feel like I should start the show with. And so all the way from Canada, I have my friend who's on Zoom, Glenn Okoro. I have Ms. Zainab Adebayo from Brooklyn, New York, who's also on Zoom. And then in person, in the studio, I have my three in-house folks. They are the conversational list. I have Ms. Didi Rare. I have Ms. Alejandra Miller. And I also have Ms. Veronica Mills. So like I said, we've had various conversations over the couple of months. And... We've been in quarantine. These are the people that I spend my quarantine with. And so if you've been in quarantine, you either killed it on Netflix with Tiger King, you've seen all the TikTok videos, you have had numerous Zoom meetings. But guess what happened? You also had, you're going to lose your job. And so let's look at you're going to lose your job. You, you're going to lose your job came from something that was extremely high in some communities and something that was extremely low in some communities. And because we're focusing on things that happened during quarantine, I want to talk about George Floyd. George Floyd's death was very instrumental in so many ways. And I think being that it was part of this quarantine season where it is a high and is a low, why don't we talk about it on our first show? And so I have my friends here with me for us to really go back memory lane to talk about our experience when we watched that eight minutes of George Floyd's life being taken away. And I will start off with my experience because as a black person who has a black son, I sat there watching that video and there's so many things that crossed my mind. One of the things that crossed my mind was there was a man on the ground with another man's leg on his neck. He's crying for his mom. At the same time, he's trying to catch his breath. You have people around who's watching, and they're screaming that this man cannot breathe. I wanted to turn it off, honestly. But then I realized that if I turn it off, I am turning my back against my race. Am I, do I not want to see my reality? I'm a black man living in America. Do I not want to see that? And so there are so many things that crossed my mind if I had turned that video off. So... For the people that are here with me today and for my conversationalists who are in-house and also on Zoom, I will start off asking, what was your experience? What did you feel watching that video? How did you feel in that moment? And so I will start off with Mr. Lejandre Miller to tell us his experience that he was watching that video. Well, um, for me, you know, um, I've read about instances where you know people have been you know mistreated you know and uh watching george floyd for me you know it just it was kind of like the icing on the cake not discrediting you know other people before who have experienced some of those things but wasn't able maybe due to you know the lack of social media at that time you know, for their experience to be kind of like broadcast. But George Floyd, for me, it was kind of like the icing on the cake. It was like, I, I put myself in his shoes. You know, it, 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 watching someone's life being taken away from them, I, I tried to imagine, like, what was that feeling like? What was that feeling like for someone to take their knee and put it on someone else's neck? And you sitting there, you're crying for your mama. That's what babies do. That's what young kids do. That's what teenagers do. Whenever we're in trouble, that's one of our first reach. We cry, we look for our mama. And watching a grown man sit there and cry for his mother while his life is being taken away, 
that to me was I, 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 the feeling I just can't describe it. It was something that I would have to live with for the rest of my life. It's something I would have to try to explain to the next generation, try to tell these kids like, wow, did you see this? But this is not just the beginning. This has been going on for centuries. There are other things that we have no account of. You know, people just know it and that's just how it is. And for a long time, it has been normalized. It has just been the thing, you know, things have just happened and it has just been swept under the rug and nobody had talked about it, but the media now, the social media, all these different networks that people, especially with our cell phones now, now people can take their cell phones and practically videotape almost everything. Watching that, that was a wake up call. And I think, you know, something has to be done about it. And I think we're on the right path. You know, we, we're awakening everybody. And I think everybody is, you know, seeing that, you know, now, you know, it's the time if you was, you know, at some point, you know, just laxadistical about, you know, oh, it's just another murder. It's just something that just happened here and there. Now you saw it. Do something about it. What can you do? How can you help? So that was my take on the George Floyd experience. So Ms. Veronica, what did you, how did you feel? What did you think? Um, it was really painful to watch that video. You know, um, of course, as a person who is, you know, identifies as Black American, um, it's something that did not surprise me. These were the things I knew that were happening in my country. But I would say, like, one, I felt incredibly down because it's trauma, right? Like, it's more Black trauma. It's captured for the masses and it was spread. So, like, that was very painful in itself. Um, having, like you said, this, this group together, like having folks that I could like tap into and like talk to my community, that was really helpful during that time. Um, but it also just made me sort of question what should be happening next and whether or not we could really come together and organize for something that could, that could change the world as it was. So I will go to Canada and we'll have a conversation with Ms. Sowakuro. So Ms. Sowakuro, from Canada, what did you think? Um, to be honest, I didn't watch the video. I think um, I've seen a lot of clips to know what the video was about. I just couldn't bring myself to watching it when it became um, sensationalized in the media, for one. For, I think from an outsider's perspective, it was like, okay, another snuff video of a Black guy from the, you know, from the States. So it was like, how, you know what's going to happen. I didn't expect it to blow up as much as it did. Um, and I guess, you know, it was more about taking in and interpreting how Americans have, you know, um, reacted to all these events, you know, culminating up to this point. So it's, it's been more from a spectator view, but, you know, when I, when I heard about the story, I saw some clips, um, I think what it did for me, which is what simply happens with most other videos when like, you know, black man snuff videos that come from the States is that it just sends a message that, mm, you know, it could be you, like it could happen to you. It could, you know, like it happens to people. You might think you were void of it, but it, I don't know how to, I, I'm not a black man in America, but it's like, I'm a black man in the world. I'm a black man in the Western world. And you always feel just a little tingle that it could be you. Like you, you, and I've had this picture in my head where I might be in the States and, you know, I might be, you know, in an unfortunate incident or something will happen that, you know, won't be as pleasurable. And yeah, so I think that's where, it, that's where it brought me. But as, as the, as the, as the, the, you know, story evolved, you know, as things went, you know, as we got to learn more about who the perps were, what they did, what George Floyd did, well, not what he did, but, and something about what George Floyd and how the media um, sensationalized the whole issue. I, I remember when it comes to feelings at the time when I, when the whole thing came out, one thing that came, that came to my mind was, oh, okay, let's just see what they're going to say about him, you know, what he did. Because most times when they snuff out a black guy, it's always like, yeah, he was a criminal, he had done this, he had been in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think, um, I think like everyone else, I th we felt it that bad because 
we had just come off of the we had just come off of another case from the states. I think someone who had been some other guy who had been killed. We had come off the child the the, the Harvard guy that was in the the um, Central Park. Mm-hmm. And I think to be fair, that one hit me a bit more because it just sh- it just brought out a demon in you know the perpetrator that you're actually aware. So it wasn't that much of an excuse anymore. You know, you couldn't like push it to the side and brush it away. So all those things kind of came back and from the outside, it was just like, hmm, avoid the states at all costs. <laughs> okay, because I guess because he lives in Canada, so he can have that opinion. So we'll go to Brooklyn, New York, and we'll speak with Miss Zainab Adebayo. So give us your perspective and your how you felt watching that video, if you watched the video? Um, I can honestly admit that I didn't watch the video to its entirety. Um, I watched little snippets of it here and there, but seeing the most important part, which is the police officer's knees on George Floyd's neck, when I look at George Floyd, I see my brothers. I have two brothers, one is older and the other one's younger. I see my father, I see my uncle, I see my cousins, I see my friends. And when I look at him and I see these people that are so close to me and so connected to me, it truly and like it deeply hurts because it doesn't even matter if I don't even know George Floyd personally, but I know that that could happen to somebody who's personally connected to me. And I think the reason why now more than ever that incident was heightened as much as it was now is because of obviously the pandemic and a lot of people were out of jobs. So there was a valid reason for people to revolutionize and get together and like, you know, say this is wrong and do all these marchings and protestings that we're doing. But then it has me questioning like, okay, well, if there was never a pandemic, would this issue be heightened or are unarmed black men gonna be continuously killed on a daily, day-to-day basis as it is now. And I think that also is a major factor into the incident as well. But it's really disheartening because this has been going on nonstop for over 300 plus years. And I think that we've all gotten to the point where it's just like, we're tired of this. When is it gonna stop? Is it ever going to stop? Um, it, something has to change and we want the change and we want the change to happen now. So that's what I, I personally thought of the whole situation. Okay, so Miss <laughs> Craddy Rare from Inside. Oh yeah, I sure did. I gave you a whole name. Like so what was your experience? How did you feel? And that's if you did watch the video. So I did watch the video from the beginning to the end. Um, I cried. And it mm. wasn't a normal cry. It was a cry that involved um, trembling, you know, mm. just a lot of trauma. Mm. Um, it was hard to see someone being alive and then to watch the end, their life just basically sucked out of them. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me was the fact that there were bystanders that were filming the whole thing and as the police was taking this man life no one could come in to prevent it Mm. so that is what's unsettling for me and i i hope we come to a place uh, in this country where that can be addressed because if we see someone doing something that's basically inhumane we should be, as citizens, we should be able to step in and, and save someone's life. Exactly. So, yeah, that was my experience. And so I like the fact that we all had different experiences, but at the end of the day, we still came to the point where we were touched individually, but also as a nation, as a world, and as a people, yeah. a black people. Black people were touched differently from George Floyd's death. And that's why I go into the next question. Why was it so different? We have had so many black men killed. We've had from Emmett Till to now Breonna Taylor to Freddie Gray to Rodney King to Trayvon Martin. 
I remember I just watched, uh, recently watched a video and someone said that a black man wearing a hoodie in America is different than a white man wearing a hoodie in America. And that's how you take it. You have to define that how, how I just said it. I need you to define that. But that goes into the next question. Why is it that this was so different? Why is it that George Floyd's death was so different for us? We're in quarantine. It's COVID-19. Mask and hand sanitizer is the main thing going on right now. Veronica, why was this so different? Ooh, okay. Um, so... Just thinking about it, I think when you look at who's pushing this movement around um, just a better world, uh, which which is rooted in this Black Lives Matter movement tied around George Floyd's death and the death of all these black folks, you have young people, and it's always young people who make a change. When you look at any social movement, it's always young people who have the energy, who have the vision, who push things, right? You have all of these young Gen Z people who are like, this is really mucked up what's happening, right? And like now, because they don't need to be in school, right? Everything's shut down. They have the time. Um, and all they have to do is go out because young people don't have money, right? So like all you have to do is go out and like have your bodies there, which is so important, but also having the, the ability to organize, to tap into your community, to bring people together. And so I think what makes this time different is, yes, it was on camera, but we've had other things on camera. We've had plenty of evidence, right? I think it's literally the fact that the world is sitting down. And so young people have the space and the time to get up and do what they really are here to do, right? Like change the world, bring in something new. I think that's what it is. Zainab Adebayo from Brooklyn. Why was this different? Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Why was this different? <laughs> so for me, I think I have to break up your question into two parts. Why is it different for me versus why it's different for anybody else? And for me, I don't think it was personally different because the way that I felt about this situation is the same way that I felt about Trayvon Martin and the others that, you know, have passed away. Um, it was disheartening. Both of I mean, all the scenarios were very disheartening. Um, I think for everyone else, just to sort of kind of piggyback off of what Veronica said, um, a lot of young millennials are finding their voices and they're speaking out about things that are truly like harmful for them. So they're going out and standing in solidarity and showing like, you know, the time is now for things to change. But for me, my feeling towards the situation has never change this has been something that's extremely important and will continuously be important mr o'connor um i think what i think what happened then like you said we're all in the pandemic so everyone was locked at home we had a lot of time to process but the world itself we're never too far from another black person being killed in, you know, and captured on social media and the police as, you know, escaping or being, as being told that, you know, they acted within their duties or within the proper guidelines. And in my opinion, the world was reeling from what had happened to Breonna Taylor that was trying to come up. And we then had Ahmaud Aubrey, you know, that got killed in broad daylight by two, I don't even want to describe them, you know, for whatever cause. And then we saw George Floyd, and then we, at the same time, we saw Amy Cooper, which unfortunately she's Canadian, but we saw her in, in Central Park. Yes. Yeah, we, we disowned her. We didn't allow her to come back. She's okay, I show. see. Um, but you know, I think why it hit me different was because it was, in fact, of all of them, Amy's one hit me the hardest because it was like, y'all know, y'all know what y'all do. You know, it's like, you know, you know how toxic what you do is. You pretend when, when it happens, when another black person dies, there's always an excuse. Oh, yeah, you know, he was this, he did that. Right. This, you know, there's always that framing of the situation that makes it seem like, oh, yeah, that black person must have been in the wrong. And to be fair, and which is unfortunate, even as an outsider, a black person on the outside, we always you know, sometimes I do excuse it like, oh yeah, maybe he shouldn't have been there at that time. You know, maybe it was like wrong. He shouldn't have fought with the police. But you, 
it doesn't justify why somebody should lose their life, you know, and especially there's a lot of people out there making case that look, it doesn't happen to other, to people of other races, especially like white people in a similar, you know, pretty much 99% scenarios, right? So why should it keep constantly happening to black people, happening to black people? So why George Floyd's one hit really hard for me was because of Amy Cooper. It was like, these bitches know. They know they know they harm they do, you know, and it works to their advantage and they'll keep pushing it, right? So and I was like, you know, fuck all of this. Y'all are an evil bunch of souls. You know, for anyone who condones it and tries to excuse it, you're an evil bunch of souls. A lot of people came out at the time to say, Oh yeah, Democrats are trying to push this narrative. It should not have to be a narrative. I should not have to talk about Ahmaud Aubrey. Like, we should not be saying his, and people are like, oh yeah, it's good we say his name. I don't want to say his name. Let him be around and say somebody else's name. Like, you know, you don't just snuff some. It really tells me or told me at the time that they don't look at us the same. You know, and they are aware that they don't look at us the same. When they come out, they'll put on a different front and they'll be like, you know, they'll smile with it and be like, you know, they have a, and I'm not saying, you know, all white people are bad. I'm saying the bad ones, they look at us differently. So they will do whatever it is. I don't know how to describe it. But when you look at someone different, you don't treat them right. You know, so the bad ones do look at and yeah, the racist ones, right? Yeah. They look at black people through that racist lens and they treat them accordingly. So, you know, how it's different is that it just, all tied to, tied in together. It was just a time where one, the Democrats were trying to get ahead. Two, there was a pandemic. Three, we had Ahmaud Aubrey. Four, we had Breonna Taylor. Five, we had Amy Cooper. And then six, it was like, okay, you're gonna just do this for not, nobody could excuse it, right. right? After all of this, George Floyd's could not be excused. Right. So I think that's why it hit different. I like that because it goes into you're gonna lose your job. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's what it is. You're going to lose your job. And so I took it into Karen. So this has been the name now branded on folks who are calling out us when they feel that when you say an African-American man, it's like some negative connotation and it's supposed to bring a police officer in a couple of seconds. And so going back, looking at one of the highlights of quarantine was when Amy Cooper was in Central Park with her dog and this gentleman was trying to let her know that she can't be in Central Park with her dog not leashed. Well, she proceeded to call 911 stating that there was an African-American man who was harassing her. So in my mind, I'm like, so what would have been it if it was an Asian man. We should have said there is an Asian man harassing me or a Hispanic man harassing me. Or what about there is Hispanics who are dark like me. We should have been able to differentiate whether he would be Hispanic or is he African-American. So I think in our lives we have encountered different forms of Karen where we've been either set down or we'll toss certain things based on the color of our skin. So I will pose this question to Lejandra Miller if you can give us any example of your personal experience of dealing with a cat. Well, I've, I've lived in this country for almost uh, 15 years and, you know, I've heard these stories of, you know, people being mistreated or like my brother here said, the Karen story. You know, I've heard a lot of those stories, but you know, it, it really never happened to me until about six months ago. Mm-hmm. I would say this. Six months ago? Yes. And That's I've, like recent. Recent, yes. Yeah. Just, just about, just around December of last year, I would say. So, yeah, somewhere around that time. Yeah, my, sometime. But anyway, so um, I've lived, in, like I said, I've lived in my community for almost, in my neighborhood, I would say, for almost 12, 13 years. Same place. You know, I've had my car for almost eight years now, parked in the same space for the longest. So it was one Saturday evening, I had come from work, and uh, I was parking my car, 
and I parked my car and I was, you know, about to get out of my car. But I think I was listening to a, a, a song I was playing. I was like, you know, let me just finish listening to this song, you know, then I'll leave and go. So about to get out of my car, I see this white older man walk up to me. You know, he puts it as Karen, I call it Billy. So, so that's Karen and Billy. So oh, mine's okay. is Billy. So he comes up to me and uh, he takes his camera phone and he takes my picture while I'm sitting in my car. Wow. And I'm like, why is this man taking my picture while I'm sitting in my car? So I said, should I put this glass down and talk to him? So I said, well, let me put the glass. I said, how are you doing, sir? Is there a problem? He's like, do you live in this community? You live in this neighborhood? I said, why are you asking me that? He said, because uh, you look like a drug dealer. He said this to me. I was like, immediately, I was like, what the heck? I started thinking in my head, because when you think about drug dealers, I mean, the, the, the mind frame that people have of drug dealers here are, you know, you're in a hoodie, maybe you, 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 you dress a certain type of way, you know, you have dreadlocks or something. Oh. That's the image <coughs> that the... <coughs> oh, stop it. That's the image that the associate being a drug dealer or somebody is with. But I'm dressed casual. I've never, I barely, I don't even think I have a hoodie or something. And not to say that people who wear hoodie or people who wears, stop, or people who wears, you know, whatever they feel like wearing, you know, is, is, is supposed to be labeled a certain type of way. Because we got people walking around here in suits and ties. They are the most evil criminals of all. We can go there from corporate to just... You just name it. You, right. you see what I'm saying? In a, in, a, in, a, in a meaning, they can say something or do something and just have the whole world just in turmoil, mm -hmm. you know, because of what they do. And people don't necessarily look at them as being, you know, a, 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 a ghetto or not ghetto, but uh, what's, the, what's, the, uh, uh, what's the term? Uh, you know, so long story short, so he comes up to me and I was so angry. I was like, why is this man doing this to me? Like, what's going on here? So I, I said, you know what? I'm going to call the police. So this is the this is the this is the sweet part. So I called the police and the police came and uh, the police came and first the lady went and talked to him. So I was like, I called the police. Why they're not coming to talk to me? So after they talked to him and then the, the police officer and the other guy came to, came up to me and said, Oh, you know, um, uh, what's going on? So I explained. I told him I was like, I live in this community. He just walked up to me and you know. Just telling me that I look like a drug dealer, that is like a, that's the worst thing to ever say to someone. So I was like, in my head, I was like, what if I had a gun? Or what if I had something? Then I would have rather been a drug dealer then. You know what I'm saying? But you just naturally don't walk up to people based on what you think they're doing, or you know, and you, and you say such things to them. So I got very upset. So the police officer said, this is what I said. I would say this. Like I said, I was at the police officer. I was like, would that be okay if I, if I told you, oh, you look like you're from Trump country? I said this to him, I said, would I be okay if somebody walk up to you and just say that to you? How is that going to make you feel? This is how I'm feeling right now. Mm -hmm. I wanted him to empathize with how I felt about the whole situation. So he's like, well, uh, at this point, there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, we just told him that, you know, he should, he should, he should stay away and, 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 and he shouldn't, you know, come up to nobody and, and tell them. But at this point, we can't do nothing about it. And I was like, okay, since you can't do nothing about it, I'm going home. I was upset for Weeks later, I had, yeah. I, I, I felt like, oh my goodness, like, I felt like if I was a, if I was a, if I could turn into like a, another being or something, I wanted to go to him at night and just take care of him. Right. This is how I felt. Right. This is with the anger towards me. I feel like, you know, maybe I should just slash his tires right. or something. Let me, let him feel some of my anger. So after a while, this is the good part. I mean, for my, I mean, most people don't get to, you know, have a, you know, reconcile moment at the end of their thing, but. It was moments later, maybe two or three months later, I was coming from work that day. Same thing, parked my car, got to the mailbox. On my way to the mailbox, I see this same guy walking with his wife going towards his car. So I got my mails and I walked to my house. On my way going to my house, I, was like, I heard, excuse me. So I turned around and I saw him. I was like, oh God, what does this man want from me again? So I said, do I wait or do I go? Because at that moment, the anger just was, it just came back. Mm -hmm. it, it, it didn't go away. It just, it just doubled three times. I was like, what does this man want now? So long story short, he came up to me. He's like, uh, sir, I am so sorry. I would like to apologize to you mm -hmm. for, for what happened the last time. Immediately, I just felt like you just took a whole, a cold 
ice water and just poured from my head mm. to my toe. I just, I, I couldn't resist the apology. I felt like it was so sincere. Right. Right. I felt like he thought about it. I felt like he said, you know what? I'm so sorry for what I did to you. I should have never came, came up to you and uh, assumed that he was a drug dealer. He said, I, 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 I see you've been living here for quite a while now, but uh, I mean, I think, I guess he said that because he saw me going to my mailbox trying to get my, you know, keys, I mean, let me get my mails. You know, so he said that, and at the moment I said, you know what, sir, I, I, I sincerely accept your apology. You know, he, he proceeded to give me a handshake. I gave him a hug. I said, come on, we're going to give each other a hug, and this is going to be the end of it. He said, I am so sorry. From now on, if you need anything, just let me know. And for me, I felt like this is, this is something that I think people who have hurt people, black people as a whole, in some way, shape, or form, it's never too late. We always have that chance, as long as we are living and we know we've hurt people, do something. We may not, at some point, be able to reach to the exact person, but do it for someone else. You know, make the wrongs right. I think these are smaller ways that we can start to start to unite each other and start to make things better for us as a society, as a race, and as a people, and we all can live in harmony. I think that was a good illustration of what can happen and what should happen. Right. And so I, I hope that people who are listening and people who are watching this podcast can understand that there are people who will attack you based on their ignorance. And then they will be able to understand what they did was wrong and come back to it. There is not everybody who's not your race is out there to get you. But I will still continue this conversation with Ms. Um, Crady Ray to ask her, has she ever had a Karen moment? You know, I'm going to call that name. I love that name. That name is authentic. That's an authentic name. I'm called Edwin. I'm like from Africa, Liberia. And my Edwin. name is Edwin. Edwin. Can you imagine? Right. Well, so my experience go all the way back to childhood, ah, um, fifth grade. That's deep. Um, I had just came to this country, um, started fifth grade, and it. I remember vividly, it was around election time. So I believe mm. Clinton was running for his second term. And my teacher had this idea where we would all participate in kind of like a mock election in class. Wow. And my teacher was white. Um, so what she did was she kind of split the class up, you know, split them up to figure out who can vote, who cannot vote. Mm. And at the time, I was the only African immigrant in the class. Wow. And I remember she came up to me and she said that I would have to sit aside and watch everything happen because I was an immigrant and I didn't have the right to vote. That's crazy. So um, that was very traumatic for me, um, but Gosh. on a positive side, um, now that I'm in a situation now that I can vote um, and, and, and I can exercise that right, every opportunity that I do have to do it, yeah. I make sure I do it. Yes. And it always takes me back to that encounter, that little to that girl. experience. Mm. And even if there is times where I don't want to vote, I think back on that experience mm. and it pushes me to go out there and yes. exercise my vote. And I want to give context to that because what she's saying, you might not understand, but we, most of us here and people who are on this platform, we are originally from Liberia. It's a West African country. It's in the West, on the West coast of Africa. Liberia had up to 16 years of civil war. So we're talking about a young lady who has just left her country from that atrocity, from war, saying all lot of crazy things, right. say you are coming to America for a better life yeah. where everything is great and you are going to have all these great opportunities. And this is lovely. We've seen what we see on TV. That's not what they actually gave us when we get here. But we'll leave that for another day. So this, this young kid, fifth grade, have an experience of not, it's not the, it's for me personally listening to the story, it's not the fact that she couldn't vote because she was in fifth grade. It's the fact that she couldn't participate right. in what was happening in the classroom right. as a child. Right. Who cares if you want to vote? Right. It's the fact that she's not being able to participate yeah. because she's an immigrant from a country where she left because of war 
So come to an area where she be, where she should have the availability and the opportunity to participate. Now she can't participate. So if we even go back to that, for us who were able to leave our countries and come to America with this opportunity of us accepting this, I pose a question. They tell us that when you come here, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. Basically, that's what they tell us. But I will say this. I remember when I got here. I got here at 18. I was 18 years old. I came. So I was kind of grown. Literally. And I remember my uncle telling me that you already have two strikes. You're a black. You're a male. And another strike. You're going to jail. And that has always been in the back of my mind. He said you already have two strikes. He said you're a black and you're a male. That's real. That's very real. So I, I will turn this over to Zainab from Brooklyn. And I want you to give us, a, give us your experience of coming from an African culture, being born and raised in America, and then George Floyd happens. And then there is Karen. How are you able to transition into this entire thing of this is an opportunity Everything is supposed to be okay. Um, well, for me, like you said, I was born and raised in America, but I am still very much um, deep into my African, specifically Nigerian roots. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I got to say that. So both of them who on the Zoom, they're Nigerians. <laughs> and that's, that's, you know, How are you guys? She's trying to be Nigerian, but she's actually from Florida. <laughs> Haitian. What? She well, Florida. I would say Florida, but she's she's Haitian. My dad she's is Haitian. Haitian. My dad is Haitian, but she's from Florida. Now living in D.C. <laughs> Miami. Oh, okay. Miami. You see? Not all of Florida. Okay. Not the ratchet parts. Okay. Okay. There you go. Little Haiti. She does. She got the Gucci man and Keisha Carroll. But that's another thing. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> oh! When I go to the Gucci man, so we'll go back to Zainab. Zainab, you were saying before I rudely interrupted you. (laughs) But yeah, so um, my parents, they brought us, me and my brothers up deep into that Nigerian culture. We understood the language. We ate the food. We listened to the music. We went back and sometimes visited family in Nigeria. But the one thing that my mother did remind us is that we are very much still black in America and we have to be very mindful of our environment. Um, specifically, especially to my brothers as well, not saying that, you know, black women in America aren't attacked because they clearly are, but just like being black and especially in the South because you know I'm from Georgia. So that's also another level of ridiculousness that is too much to get into right now. And like, I think in Georgia, you definitely see a lot of the Karens and the Kens more than I would say that you, I see it up here in um, being in New York, because I would say that New York is more so a melting pot. So you have a, a sprinkle of white people who are a little, let's say a little bit more accepting, except for the Amy, but he's Canadian, like we already established. Uh, just nope. Canada. Exactly. Her, her Canadianness. <laughs> so we were we were still very aware of like you know like if a white person comes up to you and they're trying to start something you know you just sort of kind of try and de-escalate the situation. Not only that, but just also being around other people. Like my mother always tells me, whether you're going to the store or something, just make sure you're around other people or just have me on the phone because you never know. You never know if somebody's just going to sit there and lie on you and it's not everywhere that you're going to have someone that's going to be there to record the situation or even you yourself you're not always going to have your phone on you or something on you to like just make sure you cover your tracks just in case a white person lies on you and nine times out of ten or let's just say like 9.8 times out of ten they're going to believe the white person over the black person because history tends to repeat itself so yeah i think it's just it's just a really difficult concept to just comprehend about just being extra careful because just like 
why is it that I have to be extra careful around white people? Why can't they just mind their own business? It's really not that hard to mind your business. No, I tell not. all the time. Like, it's not that hard to mind your business. And recently I just read this article because New York has this thing where it's like, if you see something, you say something. And I think I, I just recently read this article about how it's now going to be a lot difficult for people who actually experience something where they are actually being attacked to like now call the police and say like, oh my gosh, I just saw this happen happening because a lot of the Karens and the Kens have sort of kind of like disqualified other people's voices who want to have the opportunity to speak up and say something because they sat here and reported and called your called the police on you because you accidentally didn't pick up all the pieces of the poop because your dog shit it on the on the sidewalk or something just something so minute and how they're just gonna sit there and like turn it into something so huge they've now lessened the voices of those who actually want to speak up because something actually happened so miss O'Curl, amy cooper is from canada right can we yes. can we okay yeah she's from canada so i will pose that question to you have you had any experience um okay so my general experience with the whole racism issue is different because one i'm african i've lived in africa for a significant portion of my life and you know um i don't know but I, and i don't want to generalize but from my experience and from a lot of people i talk to that are have lived in africa for the most of their lives the the experience the perspective is different you know certain things will happen and you will, you might just simply excuse it as this is a stupid bitch or she just doesn't have any sense you know you don't really think of it through a racist lens because we weren't born that way right or weren't brought up that way um but i'll give you a sim a, a typical example which is so which just put just you know describes my point um we were at this bar it's typical bub, pub kind of you know bar a bunch of black guys say we're about five or six having wings beer chit-chatting trust and nigerians too so like everyone's loud you know cracking jokes but it's a bar like people are on the other table maybe not as loud as the africans but you know loud, loud all the same and this table of sorry to say it but white people get up to leave and this stupid bitch right all her friends leave her behind and she like walks to our table hi like hey what are you guys celebrating here somebody just got out of jail and i was like i was like like these are men that are probably have more money than her ancestrage right you know these are like guys young guys that are doing well in life on their own homes here abroad they didn't think anything about it. They're just like, no, we're just talking about something, 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 you know. And I'm just like dumbfounded, like, are these guys kidding me right now? <laughs> and like, she just, and you know, it just like, seeing I put it kind of de-escalated real quick. And she, oh, have a great time. And she walked away. And I was like, am I the only one who felt offended by what she said? And it was literally only myself and my cousin, who just, of course, Americans, by the way, um, that was like, that couldn't have been right, you know? And I feel kind of bad because I've always wanted to experience a proper Karen moment and cuss the bitch out because that's what's always in my mind. For real, like, I, I, I have, I have replayed have that scenario so many times in, a, in, a, in, a, in my head. I mean, I was, one, I was in the store one day and this lady... I was in the wrong, actually, you know, in the walking in the wrong direction in the aisles, these, um, you know, the marked aisles they have now. And she like turned like, what the fuck are you doing? And like, fuck you, bitch. So blah, 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 flipped her. Like, because I'm just like, you're a white lady. Do not come for me right. ever. Not right? Just right. recognize not I am not the one you should right ever now. come for. No. So like when that incident happened, like, but this was like before. Right, I always felt bad, like, oh my god, I had my chance to cuss a bitch out, right, or to cuss a fucking Karen out, and I missed it because I was like, damn, this was like plain faced. Certain things you just don't. Say. I don't care what her intentions were. Certain things you just don't say to black people, exactly. right? In these parts, certain like you have to be sensitive. 
You know, I don't just wake up and say anything. So certain things you just can't say to black people. You mm. have to be sensitive. And that was one of, that was the moment of like, what? Like, does any one of us look like we went to jail? And you say that and I will give my experience. So, of course, some of us like to go an extra mile. So I have a certain kind of car. And when I bought the certain kind of car, I... You, I would I'm driving the car and I get a pullover. A luxury car. Yeah, I have a certain kind of luxury car. Right. And I get a pullover. I'm not gonna say the name because they ain't give me no money okay. on this show. So if they want us to talk about what the car is, we can do that. But I get a pullover. And when I get a pullover, of course I'm asked for my, you know, my driver's license, my registration. I hand it over to the police officer. Take my driver there. I guess he does whatever he... And he comes back and asks me, is this your car? So now, in my mind, because this is how I am, exactly. I'm like, I just gave you my driver's license and registration. When you pull that stuff up... What does it say? What does it say? Does it say the car is owned by somebody else? So he said, does she own this car? I said, yes, sir. I, this is my car. He said, where do you work? Mm-hmm. I said, sir, why does where do I work has to do with how I own this car? He says, so I'm asking you a question and you need to answer me. Wow. I said, I work. And I told him where I work. And he said, where do you live? I was five minutes away from my house. And I said, I live down the street. He said, I need you to tell me your address. I literally had to read out my address to this police officer. It was intentional. And he said, okay. He gave me my stuff back. And he got in his cruiser. And he left. But one thing I would tell you. It was an Asian police officer. Mm. Ooh. That's what it was. And for me, I remember my mom lives in Liberia. So I called her immediately. And I explained it to her. And she's on the phone. If we all have African parents, we know. She's like, the devil is a liar. They will not kill my son in that country. <laughs> but she goes into a whole prayer moment. Because I think for her is her living in America in the 60s and 70s and having that experience right. of all the issues right. of uh, black oppression and everything. Right. Right. She never expected that in 2020. Her son will have to go through it. And I was like, Maya is okay. But for her, it wasn't. It was really traumatizing. But for me, sitting in that car, I was like, Jesus Christ. Because he left and I sat there for like five to ten minutes. Why did he ask him for my address? What does he mean, do I own this car? Trying to get a response. Of course, I got the dreadlocks. Mm -hmm. Fade on the side. I represent a kind of group that they categorize who I'm supposed to be. So Canada says something, but I ain't going to go to Canada. I'm just going to leave Canada. No. We're just going to leave Canada. Canada do what they got to do. Canada says something. Yeah, that's what I gave him. I, gave, I drive a black certain kind of car that is affiliated with a certain kind of group. I look like a certain kind of group because I have dreadlocks. And so he did what he had to do. But I will pose a question to Veronica. Veronica is from Miami. Your dad is from Haiti, born and raised in Miami. You have had the opportunity to travel to Africa. As a black woman from Miami, living in Africa, went to multiple countries in Africa. It's 2020. And we're still dealing with systematic racism, black oppression, what is your take on that? Ooh, that's a good question. So I will say, I actually lived in Africa for five years. Wow. And when I first moved, I was like, oh, I ain't never going home. <laughs> this is great. Where in Africa? Be, so I, was first, I started off in Nigeria. Ah. To live somewhere and be a part of the dominant group of people, mm. that was like something spiritual. I have mm. never experienced ah, that. Something I did spiritual. not realize how much of a second-class citizen that I felt like until I lived on that continent. 
And so my friends kept asking me, like, why do you love it so much? Why do you want to leave? Blah, blah, blah. Like now, fast forwarding to, to what's been happening with George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. Now people no longer ask me why I want to live somewhere else, right? People are asking me how they also oh, okay. live somewhere oh, okay. else. So that's what it is. Like for me now, it's like full circle. Now I don't even have to have the conversation about why I'm going mm. back, right? Because mm-hmm. like this, I mean, this just, this isn't, this doesn't make sense. Wow. Yeah. Here. So as we move forward, um, this is turning point of our lives. We as black people, we're trying to make it great. We are striving. There are things that we have to do as black people that the other races don't have to do. We are, I would say we are bringing down barriers. This is something that I say all the time. If we can send somebody to the moon, then the sky is not my limit. Because he burst through the sky and went to the moon. So the sky can be my limit if we already send somebody to the moon. So, but as black, as the black race, as we are moving forward and we are doing great things, like I have amazing women and men around me who are doing this great thing, at the end of the day, how are you supporting the Black Lives Matter? And I post that question to you, Glenn O'Curl, Mr. Canada. How are you supporting, and not only just the Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives, how are you supporting that movement? Oh wow! Um, I have I have thoughts about it. To be fair, I don't think I can point to say, "Oh, I support this movement by maybe so by protesting or I fund any of these Black Lives Matter movements." Um, I don't. There, there's obviously impact to them. You know, they're they have their place. Um, for me as a black person i think i continue to live in my truth i there's a lot of there's a lot of people that came before me that i've learned from or i've been influenced from and that is you are who you are your place on this earth is yours to take and clean and i do just that i try as much as possible to not live in a shadow of myself being black i think I'm fortunate to have been born African and like Veronica said, lived in a place where black was dominant. It didn't matter, you know? So my, 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 my thought process around it is much different from perhaps, you know, how I perceive maybe black Americans, you know, take themselves in the world today. But I think the black community in general, whether it's in the States, um, you know, in like the Caribbean, in Africa, I think for a long time. Okay, I'll just tra- I'll just trail back a bit, and my 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 statement will be. I'm just taking a statement out of um, Yuval Noah Harari's um, *Sapiens* book. He was like, "Never in history has a dominant a dominant trait, a dominant biological trait, been." made to be in being crafted as inferior or something like that right and not yeah i am trying to say that we're dominant because we've got some shit going on that other people don't um but you know i don't i will never i will never ever ever you know walk this earth feeling even slightly less than anyone else you know first and first i'm black i'm nigerian i will just naturally feel better than most people on the planet you know it comes to the territory (laughs) exactly and i think i will always claim what i be what i believe belongs to me right you know i don't ever feel bad for being for example for example an immigrant i actually feel like deserve being in canada more than those that were born here why because i worked my damn way here Mm. i paid a lot of money to be in this bitch i am here i own this i work for this shit you can't take what I've worked for. Like, you're, you're so going to fight. Offensive. You know, <laughs> you know like, I've, where, where, where I am in life, I've worked for. And, you know, this is something I tell to most other Black people. You know, claim your life. Claim your stakes. I think the more, the more we do it, the better the outcomes. The more we improve ourselves as people, you know, the better our outcomes. It, it's only a matter of time. And, you know, slavery was unfortunate. And the, the after effects or the after waves that have come after slavery has, has been unfortunate. But 
you know, we're claiming territory. I will tell you for free, Black people are claiming ground. It's not been that long and look at all that we've been able to accomplish, right? We are claiming ground. Why? Because we got it in us. It exists. It's not going anywhere, right? So it's only a matter of time before it comes to the surface. So I don't let any of that stuff hold me back. And as much as possible, I don't, you know, I, I always encourage other Black people not to let it hold them back. Take what is yours. It might be harder, but it's unfortunate. You just don't have it. If you're born poor and you want to be rich, you have to work a bit harder than those who are born rich. It is what it is, right? So just take what is yours. And, you know, at the very granular level, you know, maybe I share like Black Lives Matter social media posts, but that's pretty much what it is when it comes to supporting the movement. Okay. I think much of my support comes from myself. Amazing. Great, great, great. Zainab, can you tell us what you're doing to... I would say increase the Black Lives Movement or what's your essence and what is it you're doing to support not only just the movement Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives. For me, the number one most important thing I'm doing is creating spaces to amplify the voices of not only myself, but also my Black brothers and sisters. I think that's very important for us to just have our own, be more established in the world, you know, just have that financial history specifically. Um, I've always been supporting black businesses from day one, whether it's going to restaurants, buying their food, buying their books. That's not something that I'm doing as a trend because a lot of people are trending to like buy and support black businesses. No, that's something that I've been doing since day one is supporting black businesses and just putting that money back into our pockets and like also giving. So like um there's a lot of like GoFundMe's going around for like not only like um, black individuals, but black trans as well. Like that's also, more, you know, really important right now is um, black trans lives matter. I think that that's not being amplified enough. Um, but yeah, just those are like the two main, my main focuses right now. I think that the pandemic is really limiting me from doing a lot more than I want to do, but I'm not using that as an excuse. It's just most importantly is giving and creating spaces, safe spaces for ourselves. Thank you. Mr. Miller? Well, I, I, I haven't gone to any um, protests or, you know, I mean, due to the pandemic, you know, I, I just wouldn't want to risk, you know, going out there, you know. But <laughs> I, I think personally, I have a personality where I attract people. So I can walk into a store and somebody come up to me and think that I work in the store or ask me an opinion or, you know, what to get and how it's going to look on them or, you know, what I think about this and that, you know. And for some reason, I'm like, dude, I'm just a walking, you know, kind of like a walking, you know, magnet, magnet or something. Or, yeah, because everybody just feel like they just come. And I, I say this, you know, graciously. People just come up to me and tell me their personal business. I'm like, oh, my God. And I just listen to them. You know, sometimes that's all they need. But anyway, I haven't been able to do any of those things. But what I, what I, what I do here is that a lot of times, because when I walk into a store or when I walk anywhere and I greet people or for some reason somebody come up to me and have a conversation and I tell them where I'm from, you know, and they tell me where they're from and we start talking about one thing to another. My thing is that I, I attract people from all different, you know, parts of the world but my goal here is to educate a lot of my african-american brothers because for centuries these kids have grown up you know having this perception of what africa is and what africans are supposed to be like and what africans are this and that. i know back in, I'm, i think all of us can probably you know speak to this you know african buddhist scratcher jokes you know that they used to make i don't think it's a joke but they thought it was a joke you know that people used to make for us you know, coming from Africa, you know, coming into these, you know, public schools and we have to suffer all these, you know, crappy talk, I mean, get from all these kids, you know. So my thing is that, you know, when I meet people a lot of times, and I tell them I'm from Africa, and then sometimes they'll just ask me some of the random questions. They don't ask me, like, oh, do you guys have, like, goats now? They don't ask me that no more. They'll ask me, like, oh, uh, uh, do you guys allow, are you guys allowed to marry three or four different women over there? And, da -da -da -da. and then I'll be like, whoa, come on. Like, I'm, I, then I ask them, I say, well, Let's be honest here right now. Would you want to have a second, you know, second check or something? I said, just tell me, be honest with you. He's like, yeah, I wouldn't mind. So I said, what, do you, what, what is the difference of having that back there? This is a whole different conversation. Having that back there when you can freely do it 
and don't have to maybe I, I, I say, you know, maybe not hurt anybody in the process of doing it. Maybe do it, you know, in a in a space where it's safe for both parties, you know. Or the, the, not only that, but they will ask me questions like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh in Africa, do you guys have voodoo?" and da, da 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 da. So I was like, "Well, it's our religion. That's what we had before we were colonized, mm -hmm. you know." So how mm -hmm. who are who are who are we to That's come? That's a whole nother conversation. Not no, not today, you okay. know, but who, but just these are some of the topics, you know, and things that I try to educate people on. And people walk away from there and say, like, wow, I didn't think about it like this. You know, I didn't know it was like that. You know, but I was like, well, what do you think about why would it be like if you walk into a country or live into a place where you don't know that you're black? Wouldn't that be different? Have you ever had that experience where you just, you just, you don't have, you don't have to think about your color? I was like, now, now you walk in a country where you think about your color all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and your color matters, you know, but you live in a place where only when you leave from there, you go somewhere else, you'll be like, oh, I didn't know I was black, or I was black to this degree, or I was from, you, you know, from this part of that place where people think we are this and that and that and the other, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, that's my little platform, you know, it's not big, you know, I don't, I don't get, you know, videos on that, but that's just how I use my little talking box and just talk to people and just try to educate them. Okay, Miss Veronica. So tell us, what are you doing? Because I know you're doing a lot. Oh, oh. <laughs> so I will say the Black Lives Matter movement, oh. I always say that's what brought me home. Okay. That's what made me feel uh, like I could come back to the U.S. and see some real change, and I wanted to be a part of that, right? Hmm. So when I got home, I started getting really political, um, volunteering for ACLU, Planned Parenthood, Black Lives Matter movement, mm. all of these different movements that sort of tie together in making mm. lives better, Black people's lives better. Mm. But what I realized is I felt like all of them were missing certain pieces that I really felt were integral to moving us forward. Mm. And one of the most important pieces was building up black women, right? So everything, this movement was started in response to black men dying. That's the conversation, it's about black men dying, but like black women are the ones pushing these movements. Mm. When you talk about these other organizations that are mostly white organizations, but they're pushing these things like Planned Parenthood, you know, like reproductive rights, all of these things, they affect black women, right? Mm. So for me, what I'm doing now, last month, I started this organization. And it's oh. called, yes, it's called Black Women Rest. And it's about oh, building a space for black women to heal and mm. love and pour into each Amen. other. So Self for me, love. Yes. Love it. That is my focus. Self-love. Yes. yes. Beautiful. Congratulations. Thank yes. You. Yes. Please That's tell us way. all about it. So Veronica don't know, but next uh, uh, next month, October, she's going to be on my show where I'm talking about self-love with two other self-love people. So I just included her in the show. Okay. So she's going to talk about it. Just this. right now. Just like she's that. She's in it now. Just, right. yeah. <laughs> just like that. Right, right, yeah. That's it. Miss Yes. You know I like that name, right? It's very rare. What are you doing? Cause I like that whole chain thing that's going on right now. You just took me straight to the black is king. The black is king. You got too much. Um, so other than, you know, spreading awareness and donating to different various mm -hmm. organizations here and there, um, you know, kind of like what my brother Dre uh, touched on, I hope that going forward that God gives me the opportunity to mm -hmm. change mindset. Mm -hmm. uh. So that's, that's what's going to bring about the real change mm -hmm. is that we have to change our mindset and when you change people's mindset you also change the culture Gosh. of what people are accustomed to so yes. i i pray that when i'm in a situation where um i am discriminated or someone is being racist to me or whatever you know situation that um impacts me as a black person that I can find calmness in it mm. and just be able to have a conversation with yes. this person. I pray that I will, when I'm done with the conversation, that a change happens in that mm. individual's mind. Yes. So I think if, if we all contribute in that sense, because mm -hmm. that's where the real yeah. change exactly. happens. Exactly. in the mindset. The mindset, yes. Um, you know, it, what, I pray that I get the opportunity and not just one time that it happens on multiple occasions and, and, and be used as a tool mm. for change.
Yes, I like that. So this was the conversation, outspoken and opinionated. You have watched the first episode and our first season of The Conversation Opinionated and Outspoken with me, your host. My name is Edwin Meyer. I had my guest, my conversationalist. And we had Miss Craddy Rare. We had Miss Alejandra Miller, Miss Veronica Mills on Zoom. I had Zainab Adebayo and also Mr. Glenn Okoro. I am telling you, this is what it's all about. It's all about us black people or people around the world coming together, have these conversations that people don't really have. And so I tell you, the conversation is not over. Next week, guess what? I'm meeting with some couples and they're going to be talking about their highs and lows in quarantine. The things that they went through, how they polished their love, how the love went down the the gutter, but then they brought it back up. There are some people who are actually pregnant based on quarantine, but we're going to talk about all of that next week. We're also going to focus on us, because guess what? We're all black people, and it's always great to talk about what affects us. So again, next week on Thursday, follow us on Instagram, The Conversation, on Facebook, The Conversation, and also on YouTube, The Conversation. We'll be back. Same place, same time. Thank you for being here with us. We appreciate you. Love you. It's only for the outspoken opinionated. Have a good day. Bye.